From the Thinking Out Loud studios, it's the Thinking Out Loud podcast with Kevin and Kyle, the podcast that exists to help you navigate the culture of today from a biblical perspective and to help you grow in your relationship with God. God has commissioned and called you to be a light in this culture. The only way you can do that is to know the truth. No matter what circumstance you're facing, no matter what season of life that you're in, if you truly want to find success in that season, you are going to have to go back to the simple question of what does God say about me in this moment? There's no shortage of information in this culture, but there is a shortage of truth. Welcome back to the Thinking Out Loud podcast. My name is Kevin Wilson, and I am just happy to be back with you guys again this week for another episode of the show. And, uh, you know, of course, you can jump in at 248-301-2010. If you got show te- topic suggestions, you've got questions, you've got feedback, even if you have prayer requests, you can leave us a voicemail at the 248-301-2010 We'll be more than happy to get those requests and pray with you. Don't forget to rate and review us. We're everywhere. So if you're on Apple, Google Podcasts, Pandora, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Amazon, Podchaser, Stitcher, all the places, Amazon Music, just go there and make sure you rate and review us, follow us, subscribe to us so that you don't miss any of the shows that we have uh, coming up. And I know we have been in just recently in some kind of long series and took a break from podcast guests so that we could kind of go through those series. But we have a guest on today and I'm excited about this because as you know, as a podcast, we have wanted and have have had many people on that have survived horrific things. I think back to when we had a show on sex trafficking. We also had a show with Senator Brian Birdwell. He was from Texas, and he survived the 9-11 attacks, which is an incredible story. Then, of course, the terrorist attacks that happened at the Pulse nightclub. We had a couple of survivors there as well. And so as a show, we love having people on where God took a just a horrendous situation and turned it around for his good and his glory. So Today is no exception to that. Today, we're interviewing Mark Soresby. He is the author of a book. It's Forgiving the Nightmare. And this book is all about forgiveness. And Mark has been through some just some horrendous things. No one would want their child to go through what Mark has went through. Mark's a speaker. He's a writer. He's a pastor at Calvary Community Church in Massachusetts. And, you know, him and I were just kind of chatting before the show, or you could say preaching at each other before the show. And uh, man, oh man, just realizing this guy, he's just a brother in Christ. I mean, we just like clicked right away. You may have seen him on the 700 Club and many different podcasts and many different places. But Mark joins us now. Mark, welcome to the Thinking Out Loud podcast with Kevin and Kyle. Hey, thank you for having me, Kevin. It's great to be with you. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to share my testimony. So God bless you and thanks good. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so we're going to jump right in, Mark, to your story. So just, you know, there's a lot of abuse happened to you when you were a child. Let's go back to the beginning. Um, before this even happened, what did your life look like? You were there with your mother. I think there was a divorce that happened there. Talk to us a little bit about the beginnings of this story. I'd be happy to, you know, the first part of my book, forgive the nightmare. I write a line and it says, everybody's story starts with somebody else's story. Mm. And of course my story starts with my mom and my mom had a lot of hurts, pain, neglects in her life that she carried. There's a lot of reasons for it. There's this good, there's bad, there's ups and downs. But her pain and her rejections and her feelings in life spilled out upon all her children. And my mom of her generation just wanted to marry her high school sweetheart. My mom didn't dream of being anything else but the missus. That's all she mm. wanted. And she married that man, and that man would, would have affairs on her and neglect her, and the marriage would end in divorce. 
making my mom feel even worse about herself than she already did. She wore the scarlet letter of her generation of divorce and ugliness. So she met my dad and my dad promised her the world, but my dad was married to another. So mm. they had an affair together and I am the product of that affair. And again, another negative experience on my mom's life. Again, another crushing blow to her own self-esteem. So the time she met this man that was 20 years her younger, I believe that she really, what she called love was enabling. Mm. She enabled him and he would come into our home and and again, I did not know my earthly father. I didn't know my biological father because he wasn't in the scene because of the affair. Uh, so this man would come into my home. He was 20 years my mother's younger. And I became the target of his grooming. I know that now. I didn't use that word then. Uh, he would groom me. He would try to manipulate me because that's what grooming is. Brainwash in a lot of ways. And when I was seven years old, is the first time I heard the, the crackle of the threshold that he would enter my room and steal my innocence. He would invade my body. He would take away my dignity. He would rob from me my self-respect. And he would, he would abuse my body in a sexual way. Mm. And I'll never forget what he said to me. You know, they called me Marky back then. Mm. And, and he would say, Marky, if anybody finds out, they're going to blame you. Marky, if, then no one will ever believe you. Marky, if they'll take you away. So, you know, being this child of seven years old, not having a, a father to guide me, my mother in her own pain. And I'll just say this about my mom. It does not uh, excuse her neglect for me. She has to enter the Lord. And there was a lot of scars and hurts that came through that. But it helps me now as an adult to understand why. And I'm not saying that it, it's right. I'm not saying because I understand why it, it's, it's acceptable, but I'm saying that I at least can understand all the hurt my mom carried and broke her so much that she didn't know how to handle uh, what was going on. She kind of grew up in a generation that if you didn't talk about it, it didn't happen. Mm. She grew up mm. in a generation where you kept these things behind closed doors. You never brought it out in public. So this man comes in. I'm seven years old. That's 1977. So I'm giving my age away. I'm on the other side of 50. And he just began to abuse me in every way, shape, and form. From the time I was 7 to 14, the abuse was daily, sometimes two, three times a day. He would sell me to other men. He would stab me, cut me, beat me, and, of course, sexually rape me. And this just became the atmosphere that I lived in. This became the oxygen around me, if you would. This just became the normality of the brokenness of dysfunction that was in my life. And, and people ask me how I felt back then. And I felt like anybody else would, confused, angry, upset. But mostly I felt numb. I just felt completely numb and how uh, all this thing, how empty, numb. And at 14 years old, I finally confessed to a family member. I confessed to my uncle. And my uncle uh, believed me. And his belief in me, he stood up for me with his, with his power, with his love with his grace and his strength. And the abuse never happened again in a physical way after I was 14 years old. So, so Mark, I want to go back just a, just a little bit. Um, so when this, when this started to, when this started to happen and you say he groomed you or he, you know, there was this process of, of, of kind of softening you up to this, this sure. type of abuse what did that look like? Like what, 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 what were, what were some of the things? Because obviously, I mean, there are going to be people that's listening to this that may be going through the exact same thing that you're going through or could be married to somebody this way. So what was some of the things that he did that you would, that you say was grooming? Well, obviously I'm looking back because sure. those years I was the, I didn't recognize it. You know, I was. Yeah. Seven. Oh so yeah. Seven so I didn't have a reference. I think first of all, I was an easy target. My mother was broken mm. and I had no father or an <laughs> adult or, uh, you know, we didn't have a, I didn't have a structure to protect. Me. Mm -hmm. So not only was my mother broken, but I became this easy target. Um, mm. You know, I, I didn't have much confidence. I was kind of, you know, but because of my mom's pain was spilling out on me. So, uh, so I think that the, the targeting came where, there was an excitement that, hey, there's going to be uh, somebody in the home. You know, I, I'll mm -hmm. have that that daddy. I'll have somebody that I can 
spend time with. I get, so I was kind of looking forward to having somebody there. And then obviously it, it became a nightmare. It became ugly. So I think by uh, this, this trust building, um, I think, first of all, because I was an easy target and I was so much gave myself in a sense to hope that something good was going to happen that was manipulated with something bad. Mm. And when you were going through this um, a- as a kid, were there was there ever a time? Because, I mean, I think you, you I think you said that it this it went on for seven years. It did. And so. Was there any time throughout that time? And obviously you were little. I mean, you you just sure. I mean, you you probably obviously didn't have any category to put this in because you didn't know you weren't exposed to certain sure. things or understood what things were. But you know, was there ever a time that you were like, mm, this is like I should go tell mom or I should tell my teachers or like what I mean, you going to school with this happening, you going to being out with other friends as this was happening? Like what? What did that look like? So uh, the way I explain that is that culture. Okay. So culture looked at this stuff and didn't deal with it. Today, there's a camera everywhere, right? Mm. Today, there's awareness everywhere. Today, society looks for signs of people that are being marginalized or or being pressed against or whatever. So we have awareness. This was 1977 where my mother's generation, again, you didn't talk about it. You know, mm. that didn't happen in suburbia. That didn't happen. And, mm. you know, you kept those ugly things in closed doors behind. We didn't even talk about it in, in, as a family. You know, it wasn't like we had a plot and plan. You just didn't mention it. It just wasn't mm. around. Mm. Mm. So, again, I think if we look at today and go, wow, there's so much advocacy and there's so much support and awareness. And you go, go online and you find it. But back then it was just, you know, you know, families mm. take care of, you know, you don't talk. So I think culturally we had that. And then, you know, to be honest with you, and again, you can imagine there's a lot of stories in those seven years. I kind of gave you the Reader's Digest. One time I told my mom, I, I forget, eight, nine years old. I told my mom what was going on because of her pain, because of her mindset. She didn't, she couldn't really understand it. So she called my abuser in the room and pro- and made him promise that would never happen again. Well, the next day, I got the biggest beating of my life. Wow. You know, he when my mom was gone, he came in and beat me for telling. So again, as a child, I just you're in a place of protection. I tell people I wasn't raised; I survived. Mm-hmm. You know, I I didn't have the skills, the ability. I, I wasn't taught to reason. I was just trying to survive, brother. You know, mm-hmm. I just. You know, when you live with an abuser, you can tell what kind of day it's going to be by the way they breathe. Yeah. So when yeah. you live with an abuser, you're always walking on eggshells. Mm. What upset them yesterday may be something today that's different. So abuse, not only to the body, but the mind mm-hmm. and, and the, everything about me. So, uh, yeah, I, I just think that it kind of clicked at 14. I don't know why it didn't click earlier. Again, being groomed. You know, mm-hmm. what do they say? Uh, uh, you know, you could tie up a baby elephant and it tries to fight, fight, fight when it's a baby. And then it gets so groomed that you put that leash on it around its ankles when it's an adult and knowing that it could pull itself away, but it never tries because as a child, it was taught that it couldn't. So it lives with this thought that it could never escape. And I think as seven, I was taught that I could never escape this. And I carried that belief because it was a lie that my abuser put on me. Until I started to reason a little bit more for myself. Yeah, I, I just think about you know some of the things that I read with you being beaten, cut, burned. I mean, th- this is like torture. Did sure. did you know how did you hide those scars? Like, I mean, you see, if you were being cut, you were being burned. Yeah. Did you, I mean, was it you just like hiding these scars yeah. and things? Yeah, that's. That's a part of the lie. I, I feel even ugly and foolish because today as a man, I look back and I go, wow. But as a child being groomed, you know, you know, they're not burning you on your face. They're burning mm-hmm. you in places that no one sees. Sure. Uh, they're, they're, you learn the lie and it becomes a protection, right? I'm going to burn you today once. But if you tell, you get burned twice. 
Mm. It's all the lies. Mm. So then what do you say? I fell off. Yeah, yo, I fell off the the bicycle. I I tripped down the stairs. I was playing. You know, you make up anything because you're more afraid of what could be than what's happening, and that's a part of the deception and the abuse that rattles a mind. So you know, I'll go back to the '80s. I'm an '80s kid. You know, Pat Benatar wrote a song, "Hell Is for Children," and that's what she's talking about it. That these kids that fall off you, hey mom, I fell off the swing today. Oh, is that why you're you broke your arm? Hey, I tripped off, you know, I went out and I fell off the bike. That's why you cut your face. Mm-hmm. So, you know, these uh it's just an ugly, ugly, ugly process that abusers give. But again, not only are they attacking the spirits, I mean the body, they're also attacking the mind and the soul and the spirit. Mm. And you were the only child in the home at this time. You know, because my my brother and sister came from my mom's first marriage, so they had some years ahead of me. You mm. know, an abuser abuser abuses. Yes. Uh, so they were abused not physically, but uh, whatever spewed out of an abuser's mouth is an abuse. Mm. And and they were they were able to escape, if you would, because they had age. You know, uh, they were able to get out. They were able to flee. But I was the youngest. And not, you know, they did not know. No one knew. So I was the target of my abuser's um, sick perversion. Mm. Uh, and, and so, I mean, this story gets to the place where he is actually selling you to people for prostitution. Yeah. Like, how did that? Yeah, other men came in. So, you know, it, it's, you know, it's, I remember a van. He had a van and it would take me, you know, someplace in this van and he would molest me in this van and then other men i don't know what kind of exchange it was he had lots of drugs in the home it was Mm. just dysfunction so i don't know it was an exchange for drugs or money i just know other men would come into the van and abuse me in similar ways my goodness my goodness oh um and so then at 14 years old you have this moment of clarity what led to that was this just a literally just a moment and you just was like and then when you get to this moment what happens after that when, at 14 so so you know I, I at 14 and again by this time it's become a a routine it's become uh you know just a part of my life and he went to a familiar place where he's molested me several times and i just something you know cracked inside me that day Maybe I was getting old enough to defend myself. So he came at me as he did a thousand times before. And I, with all my money, I pushed him off me. Mm. I, I, you know, and I think he realized that, that I was going to fight back. And, you know, it wasn't a Rocky Balboa moment, but it was just this. I said, no. And I pushed him off me and I picked up my clothes and I ran and I just ran. And I didn't know where I was going. I was just literally running just to get away. And I think he realized at that moment that I was going to, uh, I was going always to defend myself. There's going to be a, if you took something from me at that moment, there's going to be defending. I'm going to take my own pound of flesh. If you would, mm-hmm. uh, sim- I don't know how the exact day or time, but pretty recently after that moment, I told my uncle and that changed everything because again, he was an adult. He had authority and power and he believed me. He believed me. And that was, uh, he believed me enough to say no more. You know, just a regular guy, worked a regular job. He wasn't a superhero. He didn't have every answer, but his love was enough. And I ended up living with my uncle for a season uh, until after that. After I confessed to my uncle, I never went back home for a while. My uncle just brought me into his home. So what was your mom? I mean, so what was going on with your mom at this time? So did she know you told your uncle or how? Yeah. Yeah. Now again, I want you to just keep this in the contents of the generation. Yeah. Okay. People didn't talk about it today. There'd be law enforcement today. There'd be counselors to, as, as it should be. Yeah. Be involved. But back then, uh, things happened in the home. Uh, so you know, when, we, when we're looking at it, let us judge it through the culture. It's still evil. It's still wrong. So my, my uncle just called my mom and said, Marky, that's what they call me, mm-hmm. uh, is going to stay with me. And I, I believe my mom was aware enough that that was the good, healthy decision. 
Mm. Uh, wow. and, and, oh, my mom never defended me in that sense. And she neglected me in a lot of ways. I think inside herself, and again, I'm saying I think, that she kind of had an awareness but didn't have the power. And she thought that was the best thing. Okay, he's out. He's safe. He's with my brother. Mm. And uh, it's, it's a sick way of thinking because today we would know there'd be authorities, it, uh, there'd be support, and there'd be awareness. But back then it just wasn't. It just wasn't like that. Hmm. Hmm. Well, let me ask you this. So when you were a teenager, you got out of that kind of a, that abusive situation. Yeah. Did you, how was your mental health? Yeah. I mean, cause I mean, that's already for a, a young man, you're between 14, I mean, 14 and up, you know, you're dealing with all kinds of emotions and hormones and all the things like, what did that look like? You know, you know it was just some, again, I think it took a long time to uh, get out of survival mode. And I say mm. a long time I was surviving. I, I was trying to thrive, try to figure out, you know, all the stuff that a 14-year-old kid's going through, you know, puberty, culture, you know, your friends, your peers, trying to figure all that out as any of us would. But at the same time, I'm just living with this concept. And remember, it didn't start at 14. When I was seven, I had to build, I guess, as I'm looking back, I didn't know it then, but you build some kind of psychological defense system but you're reasoning, you're building it from a child's mind. Mm. So you carry these defense mechanisms with you you're, because your body just says, I got to place it somewhere. And again, I'm not a psychiatrist. This is just my story. Sure. But I think so. So, you know, 14, for me, I was always on the edge, right? I'm always, my life is 100 miles an hour, white knuckles. Everything mm -hmm. is immediate. Mm -hmm. Everything is now. And when the abuse stops, I was able to breathe. Mm. And then the real hurt started to come. Now, let me say that very carefully. The, my body being raped was really a bad thing, and it really hurt. But my abuser was still lying to me in my own spirit. So mm. even though the abuse ended, the abuser's words of me saying, Mark, you're fat, you're stupid, you're an idiot. No one will ever love you. You're broken. You're junk. You, you can't read. You can't, you know, the negativity of the lies of my abuser lived within my spirit and in my mind and my ears far longer than those seven years of abuse. Mm. That was, that abuse and those lies was the rudder in which I steered my life by for a long, long time. Yeah. I want to get into that in a second. Sure. And then at 16, though, you that you had a conversion moment. So tell me to, not only what happened at 16, but what led like how how did you get to this conversion moment at 16? Sure. You know, uh, you know, I'm going to be real genuine with you, Kevin, because we, we I think we're brothers. You know, we have a lot of we're friends. Yeah. So, you know, I, I was molested by a man. Hmm. And I think for myself, I needed to have a girlfriend. And, hmm. you know. You know, for me, I was like, okay, I have to prove to myself. And again, we could spend all day unpacking that. I, but the 16-year-old Mark was important for him to have a girlfriend. So I was at this this uh, pool in an apartment complex. And this girl who was my peer, 16, 15, you know, my age, she was the lifeguard. And she invited me to go to church with her. And to be honest, I would have went anywhere she invited me. Right. <laughs> and, and uh, her and her boyfriend picked me up for church. Uh, you know, I think two things I found at, at that, that night in my life, two things I found was first, peers. You know, I, I didn't know how to be social. You know, I didn't know mm. because, again, the abuse took so much of the oxygen out of my room, out of my life. And on the other end of my life was I was being bullied at school. I was a special ed student. You know, if I put my glasses on, you'd see their Coke bottles. So, you know, I, I was having this bullied in, being bullied at school, abused at home, feeling so alone and broken that when she invited me to church, you know, I I saw a bunch of kids my own age and they listened to the same music I did. And 
They were more accepting than I ever found ever. Not perfect. Let me say that again. They weren't perfect, mm-hmm. but they were accepting. What happened was that was a Wednesday night. Remember we used to do churches on Wednesday night? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, the yep. youth pastor lived in that same apartment complex that I lived in. Mm. So Saturday morning, uh, the kids were climbing a mountain. We have a mountain in our area called Mount Monadnock. You know, it's like a rite of patches that everybody has to climb it. You know, every group, mm. organization. So they were going to go climb that mountain. In about 8 o'clock in the morning, 9 o'clock in the morning, in my mind's eye, there was 100 cars. It was probably only five, but in my eye, it was 100. And they were beeping the horns, and they were calling for me. Acceptance. Mm. Peers. Mm. You know, I didn't have money. I didn't have shoes. I didn't have the right clothes. I didn't have anything. But they called for me. It found, I found acceptance in that group. And that acceptance by peers, on that way home, a young man asked me to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And I did. I said the prayer, not even understanding the depth of what I prayed, but so thankful that God never left me and he loved me so much. So now I start on a new journey of uh, being a Christian, whatever that meant, right. and, and having this nightmare in my life. Hmm. So... Okay, 16, you have this conversion, you become a Christian, not fully understanding exactly what you just did. You knew it was a good thing. You know, you were accepted by this group. What did your life look like with Christ in those, you know, 17, 18, 19, 20? Like, what did that? Yeah, you know, the church became my sanctuary. Mm. Yeah, I mean, and I mean that literally. I don't just mean that figuratively or, or spiritually. I mean, every time the church door was open, I was there. I think I went to the mops meeting. You know what I mean, mother? <laughs> I was at the ladies meeting. I was at the senior meeting because it was a sanctuary for me. Mm-hmm. I hung out with the pastor, staff. I mean, I was just like a fixture in that church. So you start volunteering, you know, ushering. And you. So I got just completely emerged. And, but also what was happening in that time is I wanted to know God. Mm. I didn't want to know religion. Sure. One of the casualties of anybody that goes through trauma, my trauma was abuse. Mm -hmm. Whatever that trauma is, is that one of the things that's stolen first is trust. Mm -hmm. I don't trust anybody or anything, right? I I trust my dog, but I don't trust you. I can only trust you as far as I can throw you. You So for me to become a Christian, I had to trust, but I didn't know how to trust. I didn't trust anything. So I said, I'm not going to believe the denomination. I'm not going to believe what somebody tells me. I just want to know you, God. Mm. So I started to read the Bible. I didn't know how to read the Bible. I'm dyslexic, still am. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I tripped over every other word. But God started to reveal his love to me. It wasn't overnight. It was one step forward and two steps back. But as I started to trust God, this, my whole journey, uh, even forgiveness, and we'll talk about, I didn't seek forgiveness. I never thought I could forgive my mom. I never thought I could forgive the person who abused me. I never thought that. But I sought God. And by seeking God, God brought me to forgiveness. Hmm. Hmm. So when did that take place? So this idea that you started this journey because really, I'm telling you right now, forgiveness for a lot of people sure. is re- like it's they can almost do anything, but forgive, you know, for some other people, it's for whatever reason, it's not hard. But for other people, it's just and especially if you've had some horrendous things happen to you, sure. people yeah. even look at you and go, how in the world could you yeah. even come yeah. close to thinking about forgiving this person? So. How did this start? When did it start, this forgiveness journey in your life? Well, uh, you know, that's a great question. You know, first of all, I was that person. For, mm. You know, I'm, no, I'm nobody special. I don't want to walk on clouds. You know, <laughs> I was that person. Yeah, right. Don't yeah. dare ask me, God, to ever forgive this person. I'll do anything. But this person in my flesh deserved hell. Mm. Right? Mm-hmm. So I get it. So what happened is, you know, I pushed down the abuse. I, you know, it's, 
It pops up. It scares me. It's it's robbed so much of from me. But I'm pushing it down. I'm putting on a fake smile. I'm eating too much. I'm joking around too much. I'm trying to build an identity that takes no one will ever see it. You know, but mm. hurt comes out. Yeah. Uh, so, so here I am involved in the church. I'm a regular youth group guy of the 80s. We're doing bowling trips and youth camps and the whole thing. And then the Lord speaks to my heart and says, I want you to go to Bible school. And I, I you know, me, God, I'm an idiot. How can I go to Bible school? So I find out myself in school and now I'm in this intense learning of God. And I don't believe I belong there. I don't believe I should be there. God, I'm the least of these. I'm an idiot. Why am I here? I'm not as handsome as that guy. I'm not as good as that guy. God, mm-hmm. look where I came from. So all these things are, are building up a journey of to forgiveness. So uh, again, it was just that seeking of God. Let me put it this way. People would say, Mark, if you have a mustard seed of faith, you can move a mountain. You can tell a tree to be replanted. And Kevin, I didn't understand what that meant at all. Mm-hmm. I was like, what does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> so I, I went to God. Mm-hmm. And I said, God, what does this mean? And, then, and I never heard the audible voice, but that, that inner voice. Sure. Well, I felt like God said to me, uh, Mark, can you move a pebble? Of course I can move a pebble. Mm-hmm. You know? And then time, you know, Time would go on and say, Mark, can you move a stone? Mm. Yeah, I can move a stone. Look what a good pebble mover I am. And then the time would go on. Life and seasons and years and one step forward. I was the one he left the 99 for more than once. Mm. And, and the pebble would become the stone and the stone would become the rock and the rock would become the boulder and the boulder would become the hill and the hill would become the mound. All of this would happen. I would get married. I would have churches. I'd have children. I'd, all this was happening simultaneously as I'm living my life. And then one day, the Lord would say, let's go move that mountain. Mm. And I knew he meant forgive. Forgive my mm. mom and forgive my abuser. Mm. And I said, God, I can't. Please don't ask me. He mm. said, Mark, how do you move the pebble? Well, you were there. You helped me. How did you move the stone? Well, you were there. You helped me. How did you move the boulder, the hill, the mound? God, you were there. I could have done none of this without you. Mm. He said, I'll be there when you move the mountain. Mm. And the first thing he had to teach me what forgiveness was. Mm-hmm. When I learned what forgiveness was, not what other people told me, not what culture told me. Forgive and forget. Yeah. Are you cre- Are you real? Right, yeah. Like, are you real? <laughs> How can I forget? Right. You know, so when I learned that forgiveness was not saying it's okay. Mm. Forgiveness was not saying I don't seek justice. Mm-hmm. Forgiveness was not me letting him off the hook. Right. Forgiveness didn't, didn't mean now we had to have kumbaya moments. I still could have my boundaries. Mm-hmm. I still have my distance. Forgiveness was not a one-time affair. You know, in the, in the Lord's Prayer, it says, give us this day our daily bread. Mm-hmm. Help us forgive those who trespass against us. I think it was daily. Right. Concept of forgiveness. Because I always believed, like, if I forgave, it means I'm okay, let's go have a picnic. I never want to have a picnic with this guy. Right, right. So once I learned that forgiveness was was me letting God. Mm. Me letting God. Yeah. I could forgive my mom and I could forgive my abuser. Because the lies that my abuser had on me even into my adulthood, echoed every day. You're stupid. You're fat. You're dumb. You're leftover. Nobody wants you. You're not smart. You idiot. You know, every day. And as I gave that burden to God, Mm -hmm. God would say, I'm with you. I'm Mm -hmm. with you. So again, I'd say, my journey did not start to forgive. If I woke up and said, okay, I want to forgive, I would have never done it. I woke up saying, God, I want more of you today. Let me just put it this way. The mountain of the mountain of abuse was like the Everest of my life. Mm. It casted its shadow on everything I and and I used to think when it's gone, there'll be rainbows and butterflies, right? Everything will be beautiful. I still have triggers. I still can tell you certain smells and sounds. Brings me back there. And I used to think that mountain would be totally gone. That mountain is not totally gone. 
Mm. Days where it pops up. What happened is God became bigger. Mm. God became bigger than the mountain of abuse. The mountain of abuse is no longer what drives me. My abuse is not the sum of my life. It's not what, what orders my steps. It did for a long time. But when I gave it to God, God's grace, mercy, love, spirit, it became so much bigger that it makes this little mountain, makes that mountain look so small. Yeah. I know it's not small, but God is so much bigger. Wow. That is so, 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 so powerful. So you you just said something just a couple a couple minutes ago where you said you didn't understand what forgiveness was, but God had to show you yeah. what that was. Can you talk to the audience and help them to understand what to you as as God showed it to you? What is true forgiveness? What does that look like? Your know, true forgiveness for me is giving it to God. God mm-hmm. is righteous and God is just. Mm-hmm. So. I say, Lord, you will be right and just. You will judge my mom. You will judge my abuser. And you're going to judge me. Sure. And I'm giving it to you. And again, I'll go back to the white knuckles. You know, I'll build a word. Pit. I lived with the white knuckles, always waiting for the other foot to drop. Mm. Always waiting for whatever good I had to be gone. Every yo, A guy like me does not deserve good because that's what I was told. You know, I, you know no one will ever love you. No one will ever, and I kind of noticed as I gave it to God, I started to believe it's okay mm-hmm. for me to fall in love. Mm. It's okay for me to be me, you know, yeah. you know, un, unrefined, unperfected, but I can be me. I can have an opinion. Mm. A lot of people aren't going to agree with it. But right. I can, you know? right. So it gave me value, but again, I had to learn that because I used to think, if I forgive them, then I'm saying it's okay. Mm. It's not okay. Right, right. Uh, you know, if I forgive them, that means everybody's going to want us to have Thanksgiving dinner together. No, I right. don't want that. Right, you know, right. If I for- and God, what happens if I wake up a day and I can't forgive them that day? Mm. So these are some principles that I learned. I put them in my book. I have it in my sure. book, the, the principles. And, and But these are some principles that I learned to say, God, just because I don't want to hang out doesn't mean I don't forgive. Right. And for me to say it's still wrong and evil is still forget. I can still call it out and say what it is and still forgive at the same time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. True. So obviously one of the things that I heard a lot as, as you were talking was you used the word acceptance a lot. The group that, you know, the group that was the church group. It's like, I, I felt accepted. I felt part sure. of something. I That's a huge thing for a lot of people that don't even go, have never went through anywhere close to what you're going through. They struggle with acceptance. They struggle with feeling like that they're good enough, struggling with feeling like that they're smart and they're capable and all of these things. I'm assuming, you know, when you got married, you probably weren't at a perfect state <laughs> as a person. No, no, yeah. How did that affect, were there some things that affected your marriage from that standpoint? What did that look like? Well, sure. And boy, we could, that, that should be my second book really. But, <laughs> but, uh, what happened was, is my wife grew up in the church. You know, she, she got saved in kindergarten and, you know, she grew up in the church in a very nuclear family. Mm. I mean, her grandparents are getting ready to celebrate 65, six, seven, no, 70 years of marriage. Wow. I mean, she, you know, her, her parents are over 50 years of marriage. So she has this legacy of commitment. And fun. so really, I love my wife with all my heart. I trust her and, and, and learning I could trust her. I could fall in love with her. Great story there. But when we got married, she was good, you know? Mm-hmm. She was good. Mm-hmm. And how could a junkie loser piece of nothing? Mm. He was somebody good. She mm. was pure. Mm. I was I was leftovers. She was healthy, mm-hmm. and I was broken. Mm. So we had to pray through a lot of that stuff. You know, she she knew my story. She loved me. I told her everything I could tell her, but we didn't know that was going to happen. I never lived with anybody before. I was never intimate with you know like that. Sure. I was like, this came out in our marriage. You know, like what's going on? And I'm like, well, you're you're awesome. And I'm crap. Can we mm. say that on a podcast? Oh, yeah. <laughs> of course. So that's really how I felt about myself. 
Sure. I was this awesome, beautiful, wonderful, intelligent, you know, wonderful woman want to be with me. Mm. Uh, So, yeah, it affected. But, uh, you know, prayer, friendship, God, counseling all brought us to a a better place. Mm. Mm. That's that's great. How would you say it's affected you as a dad? You got four kids. How does how is that the, all of this? Because, you know, as men, we're already super protective. That's just in our blood. So but then you being a person who in your past have been abused, I can imagine you being very protective sure. of your children. Sure. So sure. how has that affected your 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 fatherhood? Well, you you said it. You know, I, I am very protective. Mm. Uh, I, I am the easy one. You know, there's always two. Yeah, uh, uh, your know, mommy kind of has to hold the line a little bit louder than you know, <laughs> yep. because I, I'm like, hey, you know. So I want to give my kids everything I didn't have. Yeah. Uh, you know, I wanted to feel secure and protected. You know, I, I write in my book that my children are very confident, mm. and I went to God saying, God, how did these kids become so confident? I mean, they're, they're kids. They, you know, sure. they're, they're better than anybody else's kids, but they had yeah. a confidence that I never had. Mm. And the Lord spoke to my heart that day, and he said, Mark, it's because they have a father. Mm. That child that has somebody, a father that looks out after them, they can afford to be confident because they always know there's a place to run. Yeah. So because they had something I never had, I never Mm -hmm. had a dad. They Mm -hmm. had a dad. And just that alone, and, and again, I'm not trying to get on any soapbox, believe me, son of a single mom, you know, my dad is gone. I know all the ugliness and, and hurt and of all that. But I think what my kids got was a mom and dad, far from perfect, but they knew there was a safe place. They mm. knew that when they got over their skis, they knew when they went too far, they knew when they needed, they could always run back and there was hope there. So I think in that, there's a confidence. And I remember the Lord, I said, Lord, how can I give my kids confidence? I don't have it. Mm. I didn't have a dad. And the Lord spoke again to my heart in the book about how he has always been my dad. Mm. How God's always so, uh, yeah. So I guess that's, you know, what I, yeah, I'm very protective, but I'm also kind of like, if mom says no. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. They'll come to dad, and I gotta yeah. check with mom. Right, right. <laughs> What's my answer here, honey? Right. Yeah, that's yeah. So, how do you think this has affected you as a pastor? Well, I think I think I'm drawn to people that have been hurt. Mm. Really, when I talk about forgiving the nightmare, I didn't call it forgiving the abuse for a reason. I think I've said it a few times that regardless of what your nightmare is, mine was child abuse. But there's so many addictions, deaths, and all kinds of things that I can't even fathom. But we all come to this place where the hurts of our lives try to identify us, try to hold us back, try to steal from us the hope of our faith and the hope of what God's called us to be. I think for a long time, I've just been around people that have been broken, carrying pain i guess i kind of hear their language mm. you know i can kind of hear what they're really saying sure not saying it so i guess my ministry has always been either around hurting people hurting churches just hurting hurting people that says i want the hope that you have and i wish i could give them a recipe mm-hmm. i'll tell you this journey was beautiful but hard it was filled of amens and oh no's it mm. came with tears lots of tears mm. you know? God, if you're a loving God, where were you? God, sure. if you're real, why did this happen? Mm. God, you know, so all those expressions mm-hmm. poured out. And so, yeah, is there forgiveness? Is there grace? Is there hope? Sure. It's mm. not easy. Right. Kill the old man. Oh, it's not right. easy. Right, right. And I just want to pause here for a second. I know you, you're listening to this. And if you're a person who is struggling with this, I encourage you to get Mark's book. It's Forgiving the Nightmare. You can get it on Amazon. You can also go to his website, forgivingthenightmare.com. He's on Facebook, Instagram, all the places. But it's really great to hear God bring somebody through something so horrific and for you to be on the other side of this because 
Mark, when I've talked to other survivors of horrendous things, I've said to them, you had two ways that you could have gone here. You could have went complete opposite and been the biggest atheist being interviewed on podcasts all over promoting atheism. But instead, God's grace, his mercy, his love chased after you even through this. And now you're helping other people get out of the chains of unforgiveness and bitterness and resentment and unbelief. That is powerful that God has done this. And I want our listeners to understand this. No matter what your current situation looks like, it doesn't matter what it looks like. God is capable of not only bringing you out of it, but also using it to help other people on the other side of it. That is just the awesome power of God. He, he's a redeemer. That's what he's great at. Amen. Amen. You know, I, I would say what the Lord told me in my heart when we launched the book, you know, we never thought, I never, I could not even fathom the, the attention that God has brought to this story. And the Lord reminded me one time, kind of in a, in a loving rebuke, you know, yeah. he said, Mark, the day you think this is about you, it will be gone. Mm. And your story is my story through you. Yeah. So the yeah. redemption I speak about, the goodness that I talk about, the grace that I talk about, the journey, I can't write it down as a recipe, but I could say that it's God, only mm. God, in yeah. God and through God and by God's spirit, grace, the cross, Jesus. Your God just became bigger that all the hurts, and not that I still don't have them, and they, they sure. still raise their head, and they still lie to me, and there's days where I'm like, ah. Mm -hmm. oh, that, I, you, can I say that? You know, yeah, yeah. Ah, you know, I don't right? But God reminds me that he's the lifter of my head and mm. the lover of my soul. Mm. And mm. this story I share, it's not easy, but it's there. And God's going to be with you as, as he was with me. Mm. Uh, God doesn't mind us crying, calling out, shaking a fist. Oh, sure, there was a, just a fist once a time, you know? Sure. God was real to come next to me and draw me out. So my story of forgiving the nightmare, to say if God could do it through this broken, messed up, abused kid, if he can take me from victim to victorious, yeah, then I know, you know, a lot like Jacob in Genesis, you know, Jacob, wrestled yeah and he got the name changed from jacob to israel yeah and NIV it says because you wrestled with god and man and overcome mm -hmm. i think for me it was the same way mm. i had to wrestle with why god and when god and what can i do god and who am i god and why all the other i had to wrestle mm. you know and i but i didn't want to let go yeah i didn't yeah. want to let go and you know and i think like israel you know jacob meant deceiver and because you wrestled the God of man and you, in a sense, the, the deceiver became the overcomer that day. Mm. And I think for me, victim abuse was such a part of me that when I wrestled with flesh, God, mm. grace, mercy, and God being with me through it all, in a sense, I became an overcomer. Yeah. Not because of what I could do, because of what Christ has done through me. Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. So with your mom, did you ever have a chance to sit down and talk to your mom or reconcile with your mom? Tell us what that sure, looked like. You know, as I matured and got older and my mom matured, obviously these things came up. Now, my mom, my whole life was very embarrassed, very ashamed, very guilt-driven. She told me more than once that she deserves hell mm. because of what she would say aloud or did not protect me from. She lived with this heaviness of this situation all the years of her life. She's passed on mm. and she would apologize to me profusely. Mm. I mean, constantly. Mm. I would probably say from the time I was 25 until she passed, there was not a week that went by where she did not say she was sorry. No. So again, she had a lot to be sorry for. <laughs> yeah, honest, right? Sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. But God, but God, you know. Yeah. So uh, near the end of her life, my mom, who believed she deserved hell, 
she came to Christ. There was an 11th hour thief on the cross kind of moment. And I'm glad to know that. Now God will judge her. Sure. According to his righteousness. Yeah. 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 My abuser, I went to years before my abuser had an illness. He had multiple sclerosis. And mm. we watched that take him from uh, strength to weakness. Mm. Uh, and in a season, not near the end of his life, he has passed on. But in a season, I went to him and I said, by God's grace, I'm letting this go. Uh, but still at that moment, he was still an abuser, still out of his mouth as I was saying, I'm letting it go. I'm, I'm giving it to Christ. I'm still poison was still pouring out of his mouth. But I knew that I left it there. I knew that, see, forgiveness freed me. Mm, yeah. I was free. Yeah. No longer was I giving him free space in my head and in my ears. Now I was. I was saying, you know, I'm letting it go. Mm. Not saying it's okay. Not justifying it. Not saying that, hey, now we got to do kumbaya. But, but I'm letting. I'm putting it in God's hands, and God will judge you according to Him. So I was free at that moment. Mm -hmm. so, so it wasn't this, you know, harpsichord you know, type of yes. day. Right. Genuine and honest. Yeah. Yeah. Mark, what would you, just in our last couple of minutes here, what would you tell anybody who is either going through this right now or who, and I know this is a very different category of people that I'm, I'm asking you to talk to, but um, somebody that's going through it or somebody who is, went through it and is still struggling with this forgiveness aspect of it. What would you say to them? Well, let me answer that in two ways. First yeah. of all, one of the greatest lies of the enemy is you're the only one. Mm. You're the only one. He loves to separate us, right? Mm. Apart. You know, in a sense that when the herd is running together, the predator won't attack it because the herd is strong together. Mm -hmm. so there, there is advocacy, as I said earlier. There's support. There's coaches and pastors and counselors. And there's awareness like it's never been before. And the enemy's still saying, you know, you can't tell anybody. You mm. know, you'll hurt, you'll hurt your family. You can't tell anybody. They'll think less of you. They'll think you're this or they'll think you're that. And that's the first lies the enemy's saying you're the only one that's wrestled with your trauma. There's people out there that have walked the same road that you have walked. Yeah. Places that you've gone that have been able to climb that mountain by the grace of God. So you'll find those people that you trust, capitalize that word T and trust mm -hmm. out to those people that you can lean on and, and want to see you find hope and health. The second thing I would say, even louder than the first thing, is God loves you. I tell people in my church that we don't live perfect lives. We live forgiven lives. Yeah. We're yeah. looking for perfection. Hey, don't talk to me. <laughs> I, I'm far from it. But God loves you right where you're you don't have to be anything. You don't have to become anything. You don't have to give to anything. You don't have to say anything, but cry out to God because God's crying out for you. So yeah. those are the two vices I would give you. Not alone. And remember, God loves you. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say too, to people who, because, you know, Mark was abused by a person who wasn't in church or his mom may not have been really in church or anything like that. But as both of us have been in the ministry and Mark's, you know, senior pastor currently. I mean, these things happen in the church. Sure. So you may be listening to us and you might say, yeah, but you don't understand. It's my pastor or it's my youth pastor or it's my dad who's the deacon or yeah. it's my whatever. And if I say something, then my family is going to be like, you have no idea what's going to happen. Listen, I'm telling you right now, I don't care who it is, even if it's somebody in church, because this does happen. Yep. You're also not alone. I mean, there are other people who are going through this and you should, at, you should, you should speak up. You should speak out. If it's your pastor, go to the police. If it's a family member, the person would go to their pastor. But if it's the pastor, well, then it needs to be the authorities. It needs to be the police. You need to reach out to somebody. And even if you wanted to reach out to us here at the show, 
248-301-2010. We can lead you to places where you can get the help that you need. So don't feel like that you are stuck. I don't care who it is. Don't feel like you're stuck. We can help. And that's what we're here with the body of Christ. We are here to help those that are downtrodden, that are hurt, that are broken, that are in need. We're here to do that. And so I appreciate you, Mark, so much for for blessing being able to share my testimony. And I and I concur with you, you know, regardless of where the abuse is. And that's one of the lives of the abusers. You know, if you tell, you'll hurt other people. If you let this out, then so much bad's gonna happen. Let me tell you, that's not God. And right. If there's a pastor molesting somebody, they're not a pastor. Right, right. You know? So you you reach out, you reach out, let let the healing of those and systems and programs and God counselors let them come beside you and give you that help. So, brother, thank you for saying that uh, because you're right. There's so many scenarios that the yeah. the the abuser brainwashes people around them. Oh well, yeah, want to hurt them? Right, right, and right, and then they do it. You know, sometimes people do it in the name of God. Well, God is telling me to do this. You need to be cleansed or you need to be. I mean, I've read so many books and things of leaders and in any day, and not trying to pick on the church here. It's just that that a lot of people don't think that it's happening. And sometimes that culture of don't say nothing and hush, don't cause any stirrings type of thing. And that might be your own personality. You might be an introvert. You might be a person that really doesn't like a lot of commotion. But you have to understand, just like you're hurting, the person that's abusing you also needs deliverance. So, so, you know, all of us, all of us, nobody at five years old goes, you know what, I'm going to grow up and I'm going to be an abuser or or a rapist or a killer or whatever. No one does that. A lot of people are products of their environments. They're products of the things that have been done to them. I mean, there's so many reasons why. It's so much. You know, it's that narcissistic personality. Look, he made me hit you. You know, that, right. that's what, you know, and that's what the narcissist says, right? I don't want to hit you, but look what you did to make me hit you. Look what you did. It gets so ugly and convoluted and, and disgusting. So if any of people today are, are in a position of being, having trauma or abuse, reach out because they're, you know, I love the church. I'm a pastor. I bury yeah. and marry and communion and wedding. You know, we do the traditional thing, potlucks on Sunday. Come on, brother. You're right, sir. <laughs> but, you oh, know, man. somebody's in a pulpit or a deacon and they're bl- abusing child in a sexual way. Let me tell you, God is not there. And, no. You know, I, I say, I think I could say that pretty clearly theologically. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. People can be great orators. People can be the great at administration. They can be great at a lot of things. And most of these people, like I said, they it doesn't start off wrong as far as who they are. They become these things. And even if they were good before and all of a sudden you go, ooh, I didn't know so-and-so was this. And oh, it doesn't matter. Just know that we all need deliverance. We all need yeah. the redeeming power of the Holy Spirit. We just want to make that clear. I appreciate, Mark, like you say, you coming on today. And, and and folks, please go to his website, forgivingthenightmare.com. He's also on Facebook, Instagram, all the social places as well. His book, Forgiving the Nightmare, please go to Amazon. You can go pick that book up. I urge you to do so. And if you're in the Massachusetts area, I really encourage you, as you know, on this show, we are really big on theology and correct theology and not getting into a church that you're going to be led astray. And I had the opportunity of really having a having a, a, a decent talk with Mark before we even got on the air. And just to know how sound the theology is over at Calvary Community Church. And I don't do this often, but I feel comfortable enough saying, if you're in the Massachusetts area, go visit him. Go visit this church. If you don't have a good church to go to or you've been searching, you're like, oh, I'm not sure, you know, whatever. Listen, you've heard his story. You've heard of what Christ has done for him. What better person to lead a church than a person that has been completely set free and God is moving and he's being raw. He's being honest. He's saying, hey, I'm not perfect. 
hey, I still have these days where things, you know, but this is the Christ that I've been introduced to and he's changed my life. If you're looking for a life-changing moment, a life-changing time in your life, go to Calvary Community Church in Massachusetts and look them up online and go be a part of what God is doing there as well. And so again, Mark Soresby, thank you so much for being with us. And folks, listen, don't forget to rate and review us. Again, if you've got show topic suggestions, prayer requests, all the things, 248-301-2010, text us there or leave us a voicemail there and we will get back with you. Have a great rest of your day today as you're listening to this. And we love you. God bless you. And we'll see you next time.